1: slightly thrilling every time we get to do that. Yeah, it's kind of thrilling because it's like, uh, I'm still amazed that it works. I know, it's kind of an amazing, It's I don't know, it's just amazing that we can um, kind of have that capacity to instantly be streaming from just our chit chat. Um, Well, Ben, bring us in, do our our intro.
0: Wait, 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 I got to tweet the YouTube live link first. Okay. Besides, we can't start until five. Oh, I guess. It this is. is all just the like the pregame show.
1: Mm. You know? I've been wondering, I don't have ESPN or cable, and I've been wondering what the hell ESPN has been like, or like any of the sports channels have been doing um, for any of this.
0: Uh, yeah, it's true. Like, what is the sporting content of the coronavirus.
1: Oh, Maggie Feldman is telling us that they're literally playing old games nonstop. <laughs> That's actually amazing, really. That's uh... well, can We
0: bring Maggie into this cuz Maggie's good fun.
1: Is she? I don't know, Maggie. That would be great. Ma-
0: yeah, uh uh Maggie should join us. Um uh she should have a drink with us.
1: Marble racing? There's marble <laughs> racing? This is crazy. Hi, oh, friends. So we're so, going to do
2: a switcheroo. Eric's oh, you're try. in a car. Well, I, we were dropping off, you know, some stuff for Quinta. Oh my goodness,
0: Excellent. All so, right. so we're
2: going to switch, and I'll be your, I, I will sit quietly in the corner.
0: This All is be right. great. Uh, so for those of you who don't know Maggie Feldman-Pelch, Maggie is uh, the, uh, 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 entrepreneurial spirit behind the NatSec Girls Squad, which is a network of uh, mostly, but not exclusively, younger women in national security who uh, put on all sorts of events, uh, get each other, uh, help each other with job stuff, uh, and generally increase uh, diversity um, in the national security space by being awesome. Um, And I am very proud to be on Maggie's board. Uh, And um, uh, what am I not saying about you? Also, Maggie sings. uh, She's a (laughs) lyric soprano, and we sometimes work out together. Is that a fair introduction?
2: I feel like that's the best introduction anyone's ever given me. And I wish you had like had we known each other at the time of me becoming a bat mitzvah, that would have been
0: like my <laughs> Right, because that was like the kind of speech you give at somebody's bat mitzvah. Yeah, it was
2: and, great. It's anyway,
0: uh, please back me up on this, Maggie, that we in no way pre-caucused any of this and- Oh no,
2: none at all. Truly, like- Like I, I didn't I,
0: know you were gonna be logged in and you didn't know I was gonna drag you into the conversation, right?
2: No, we've, we, we located some spare rolls of toilet paper um, and so I'm not allowed outside of the car, um, but I can be in the car.
0: Such <laughs> so, are the, the, these are the small victories of post-apocalyptic oh, yeah. life.
2: It is. And so like we have the dog who, you know, I don't know if you can see her or not. Um, and I just logged in cause I was like, Oh, it's almost five. I should see what they're doing today. So here we are.
0: Excellent. Well, Welcome. <laughs> Uh, I guess, I guess now that we've drifted into five o'clock, we should, we should introduce uh, we don't have fun anymore because we're all cooped up at home. We're not, we're not allowed to be social. When we, they say social distancing, they mean anti-social distancing. Uh, Everything sucks in life, but in lieu of fun, we can have uh, a, a zoom meeting with Kate Klonick and whoever uh, we drag into the conversation <laughs> and we can always have scotch. So welcome all to In Lieu of Fun, to those who are joining us live on Zoom, and to those who are joining us live on YouTube. Uh, as we started yesterday, uh, if you have a question and or a comment or you wanna get in on the conversation, use that Q&A function. We, I was using the raise your hand function, except that some people uh, have apparently been Zoom bombing um, and they raise their hands. And then when you call on them, they scream racist stuff. And, uh, and so uh, we have to do a little bit of screening just to put somebody tried to Zoom bomb yesterday's, which you know we had a high school student on, that's super uncool. So uh, uh, somebody uh, wrote in on the chat with a whole lot of uh, racial epithets, and so uh, we're not going to just pull people in off the chat. I'm actually not even going to look at the chat uh, except to communicate with Kate. But if you want to get in on the conversation, uh, just use that Q and A button, and we can um, and we can uh, bring you in. Um, And, uh, you know, you can talk to Maggie about her toilet paper and about uh, (laughs) uh, Natsack Girl Squad. And you can
1: uh, talk to... And her awesome sweatshirt. God. Uh, Yeah, yeah, what is your sweatshirt?
2: Oh, my sweatshirt. It says, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor.
0: Yeah. So clearly
2: I'm not in my work clothes.
0: So I have a question about that. Yeah. Is that a general argument against pacifism? Yes. Interesting. I think, okay. I mean, I, 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 mean, I actually think it is at some level. But
2: yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's this, there's this sad yet to me funny story about me in which someone was like, "Hey, take this fake online quiz I made for you about places where um, we should have like." Some sort of U.S.-backed intervention, and, and see who's more of a hog—you or John McCain—and it was me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent, neocon radical Maggie Feldman Pilch here. That's kind of amazing. All
1: right, Kate, how are you doing today? I'm good. I just like. I don't know. I like I'm, I spent the whole first part of the day sleeping, and then not looking at my screen once I woke up, and gardening thirty minutes, forty five minutes of chatting before before this.
0: So I want to raise with you the question that you and and Maggie jump in here. I want to raise the question that we were talking about with Danielle uh, before our tech disaster the other day, which is: Do we have to redefine like negativity about screen time now, if the only opportunities to socialize are to be on your computer, if the only opportunities to uh, have an academic discussion about a paper that you're writing is a kind of virtual uh, meeting. If all of these things that we used to do uh, on in person are now done by zoom should we reevaluate like if you have six hours of screen time a day we would normally say that's a bad thing you're spending too much time in front of your screen do we have to change that number completely in light of like you and i would normally just get together and have a drink um or
1: I know, and this would count as like, not my screen time seeing you.
0: Right, and so so, like, I I just don't know how to count, like what counts as wasting time mm -hmm. now, and what counts as being uh, productive.
1: Yeah, I don't know, Maggie, do you have feelings? So I'm thinking about that we're
2: we're having this conversation in the the car, because you know, my partner in crime here has made, disagree with me. But so today is my little brother's fourth birthday. And I um, don't love the fact that he already knows how to use an iPad, right? Um, Because he's four. And I'm like, you spend too much time on a screen. And then he yells at me both in English and Spanish. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, But today, because I couldn't be there to celebrate his fourth birthday with him, I was really glad that he knew how to use an iPad, right? So, I don't know, like... I guess one of the things to me is like, it's not just the screen time. It's like, is it screen time, but you're sitting in front of your desk versus like, are you outside for a socially distanced walk zooming on your phone?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that what Danielle was saying, I think that you kind of got cut off of this part of the conversation, Ben, but what Danielle did say, and I completely, completely agreed with, and I hope we, she can, we can talk about it more with her on Monday is like, what she did say was basically like, this is the end of internet exceptionalism. This is the end of the internet being a different space than real life. And this is the collapse of us all understanding that when we talk about speech online, we're just talking about speechful stuff. Um, and I completely agree with that. Like, and I, I think that that translates and makes sense of your question about screen time. Like, I think that that's like a meaningful distinction If how you can socialize is through screens. Then like, who cares? Does it matter that it's through screens? Like. You know, you're not, are you calculating things based on like how much time you spend on the on like the audio phone? Like why, like what are all of these? I think that like, I think that we calculate screen time. It's kind of like a precious understanding at the cusp of a new technology of like not knowing how it's going to impact us long-term and trying to make sense of it and be cautious which I think is smart. But I think that maybe this will be just the thing that like pushes us forward.
0: I've always thought the concept of screen time was a little bit dumb, because you know, it, it's first of all it's the importation of an idea that's for for small children into adulthood, and um, so like we say, oh, this three year old shouldn't get a lot of screen time, and the theory is that there's actually nothing that a three year old can be doing with a screen. That's as emotionally productive or socially productive as sort of being engaged with by people. But you know, I'm like when I read the New York Times, um, I'm doing it on a screen, and um, and when I um, uh, when I you know I just downloaded today all the speeches of Attorney General Ed
1: Levy um, back from the 1970s and like you can't see but maggie put herself on mute and i'm sitting here because you can't because there's not side-by-side facial things but like both maggie and i winced at the same time
0: well (laughs) you know like i'm thinking about writing a book about ed levy and so i figured i should read his speeches but i didn't like another book written now oh god okay I mean, I got to, you know, keep myself busy. I'm thinking about it. I haven't decided to do it, but I'm thinking about writing a book about Ed Levy. And so I downloaded all of his speeches. Now, if when I read them, it'll be on my iPad, that's screen time, but that's a stupid, like that's like, what does it matter if I read them in a leather bound book or read them on, 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 the, on, the, on the iPad? It's, it's a question like, or on a, you know, Scroll with with like written in written on parchment, right? It it's the nature of the text is what's important, not the nature of the uh, not the nature of the medium through which the text is conveyed. But I do think the percentage of our screen time that has gone from uh, meaningless, uh, you know, garbage activity to very substantive, really important meaningful activity for us from you know reading the speeches of Edward Levy if they don't make you wince to like conversations like this uh that has like that has changed and I think it's changed like really suddenly.
1: Yeah I think that there's um Andrew one of our Andrew um on the Q&A says Apple needs to shut down screen time temp- screen time reporting temporarily Um, I kind of, like, agree with that, (laughs) like, I always thought it was, right, I mean, I think that, like, what the, what screen time reporting was a proxy for was, like, the time that you, was, like, filler time, um, of, like, filler time wasting time on Twitter, and Twitter not being an essential news function, or social function, um, and instead being, like, you were supposed to be writing a paper, or responding to emails meaningfully, or teaching class, and, like, Twitter now is basically the equivalent of like, walking down the hall to go get coffee and meeting or seeing your colleagues. And it's also the equivalent of like a meaningful coffee chat. And it's also the equivalent of picking up the New York Times and seeing what, what you want to read. I mean, I think it's all of those things.
0: So Maggie, you are uh, glitching out a little bit. As oh, you... we, I won't, I, I will be less glitchy very
2: soon, sorry
0: okay um, but I'm gonna put you on mute so that you don't uh, uh, so just like wave at me if you want me to if you want to speak okay um, all right so we have a pretty cool question here from uh, JD Quinniett and I am going to promote JD Quinnichet to panelists so that he she or it uh, can ask uh, the question of, their choice. Um, uh, JD, can you uh, uh, turn on your camera so we can see and hear you? I have to remove the black tape. Hello. I don't know if you can hear me because I have Windows 10. Can we you hear, hear me? You're just fine.
1: Yeah, you're Windows. coming through loud and clear.
0: Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. I didn't expect to be here. <sighs> hey, okay. welcome. Thank you thank you so my question is this I'm not a real truly organized person I'm a writer for what that's worth but the craziest thing for me has been not being able to plan I can't plan a week ahead I can't plan a month ahead so um, my question is what is the most jarring transition you all have different lives for me I have a 22 year old who's in college and I've always been a single mom. I just finished my last 20, just turned
3: 18
0: on March the 6th. So my uh, purview, is, purview is a bit different from you all's. But what has been the most jarring thing, the biggest transition? What are you really weirded out by? It's a great question. Kate, why not, uh, do you have thoughts on that?
1: Oh yeah. I mean like I think that the biggest thing is just that I can't I think it's just the sheer amount of time that I'm spending online and on in front of my screen. Um and I would think that it's like it's also just the undercurrent of everything being stressful. Um wh- like of like all of the pandemic happening and then like any type of normal stressful activity that happens in my life on top of that. So like it has just been for me. I have felt like I think I've told you this privately. Like that for the past fourteen days, it has just been a full-on um, press of of just answering things professionally, teaching, um, managing like my like you know my family and all of these other things. And now it's kind of just like finally starting to settle out. But um, I don't know, like. I think that I am. I probably saw the my partner and I probably saw the writing on the wall for this about a week sooner than most other people were taking it seriously, and we left New York like about a like probably like we left really early. And I think that it's it's made it so that like the question of how much this is freaking me out is is like a different question because I feel like a little bit like we've entered a new normal already. What do you, what do you think, Ben? So let, let's, uh, uh, Maggie, what, before
0: before I answer that question, because I'm actually still processing it a little bit. Yeah. What are, your, uh, what are your thoughts on it? What's been the most jarring change for you? So I think the most jarring change has been,
2: in some ways my life has not changed that much, but Because um, you
0: kind of work at home anyway.
2: Right, like I have an office that I use kind of, right, but like eh, and I, the medium in which I communicate with members and clients and stuff like that has changed, right, because it's so much more online and it's a community of people that like don't internet well, Um, but I would say that my voice lessons and all of those rehearsals are still continuing, but they're on Zoom, and it's really weird And what music has been for me my whole life, right? Like this outlet that's totally different than the rest of my life where I have a place to physically go, right? You go to the studio, you get on stage, whatever it is. It's now happening in my house, which is the same place that I live and work. And so it feels completely different. Um, And in a way that I was not prepared for if that makes sense. It's like a weird thing that's like such a luxury um, and like not a regular everyday life, but it's the thing that's changed the most to me and is weirdest.
0: I
1: think that makes total sense. That makes total total sense sense to me. Yeah. So
0: to me, uh, I think the most jarring thing is, uh, so at one level, it's pretty easy to take lawfare virtual where we're We're all pretty mobile. The tech is entirely web-based. Anyway, there are some podcast recording issues that are a little tricky to do all remotely, but it's very doable. And there's very little that we need to do that we can't just spend money to get done. Um, So at one level, it's really easy to take virtual. At another level, it's super hard to take virtual because one thing lawfare is among other things is a social circle. And, you know, it's a group of people that actually really uh, cares about each other and spends a lot of time together. And one of the reasons that people get involved with, with lawfare at this level uh, is because they actually like the group of people and are, are, you know, sort of part of this like little, Uh, kind of professional community. And so it turns out that it's really hard to not see each other every day. You know, that there's just something about like, not like the impromptu conversations that don't happen if you don't happen to be occupying the same physical space, uh, that turns out to be uh, a real adjustment. And it's not like you can't work around it. It's not like the work product suffers. But, you know, like, I actually miss uh, uh, seeing, like, every day having this kind of daily interchange. And so we've tried to recreate it with kind of Zoom meetings every morning. But those tend to be a little bit more business focused, you know, taking care of what needs to happen rather than sort of, like, just kind of making fun of each other or playing with the Bob Mueller puppet or, you know, you know. And, And so there's, like, this is like this... Kind of day-to-day interaction stuff that I didn't realize I valued. Um, I mean, if you'd ask me, I'd say, yeah, it's one of the great pleasures of of running Lawfare. But I didn't actually realize how much I depended on it um, until it wasn't a um, uh, um, it wasn't a part of of my day-to-day life anymore. Um, So, uh, we have a surprise guest, um, which I was, uh, uh, you know, I I honestly wasn't, didn't know, uh, I never know who to expect to come on, (laughs) but I certainly wasn't expecting Alex Alex Stamos to join us. Uh, Alex, uh, welcome to In Lieu of Fun. What are you doing these days in lieu of fun?
3: Um, I'm having... Fun uh, right now I'm grading uh, for my class. Uh, so Stanford delayed uh, the uh, end of the quarter uh, by a couple of weeks, uh, and so I had a final project that I had to make uh, into a optional one, which really sucked because these students have been working for ten weeks on these projects, and then in the in week nine all of a sudden we made it optional. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's what I'm doing right now. We had a, a trust and safety class where students made uh, content moderation bots, uh, which is a lot Whoa, of fun. Cool, that's right, I have a whole so slack cool. full of, of people <laughs> testing it by um, mostly by putting in ethnic slurs about their own ethnicity. Uh, it's, a, it's actually really awkward to watch 19 year olds um, try to uh, test these kinds of things in the, the, the environment of uh, what a you know, campus culture. So that's anyway, that's what, that's what I'm bio bio doing. Bio that is fun. Bio that's bio not in lieu of fun
0: so wait we have to we have to uh, that's there's so much there we're going to have a lot of fun right. with this so first of all alex introduce yourself a little bit um uh who are you for people who don't know your name um who uh what what, what do people need to know about alex stamos
3: uh yes an actor on full house uh despite the jokes the contrary <laughs> <laughs> uh, no so my name's alex Damos i'm currently the director of a group called Grant Uh so i'm a fake professor at Stanford teaching computer science and international policy classes uh, and we're doing a lot of research on disinformation. My previous job as the chief security officer of Facebook uh, so I've spent lots of time. Uh, I am footnoted in the report. Do you, do you have a footnote, Ben? Are you in there?
0: I show up uh very briefly yes um i i, I think I think I show up um uh, only, um, actually, I actually need to check that, um, because I may be confusing the Mueller report and one of the IG reports, but I think I show, I think I show up in the Mueller report because, um, because, uh, my, uh, just because, uh, uh, Jim Comey's uh, testimony or uh, interview was consistent with my description
3: of, uh, of our interactions. Ah, yeah. Well, so I, uh, my, my friends, uh, Will Newland, uh, uh, Jen, uh, and I all kind of joke that if, if we knew that our, uh, something we wrote was going to be attached, stapled to history forever, we would have done a little more time copy editing it. Um, <laughs> you never know at the moment.
0: So, So, wait. We got to talk about bots to do content moderation designed by nineteen-year-olds. But Kate, you're like, this is your field. Like you. I
1: know. Like I'm a little upset that I didn't know that this was. This is what you were doing, Alex. This is amazing. Also, couldn't be more relevant as Facebook decides and most platforms decide to take all of the majority of their content moderation into bot form or into um, automated technology and algorithmic, um, uh, decision-making instead of using human content moderators, um, with the pandemic, because people don't really realize this, but people, the human beings that do a lot of content moderation sit in call centers. They can't do the work from home because, they are reviewing people's private information on their own on their screens, and um, in order to keep them from like taking a screenshot of your objectionable tweet and like blackmailing you with it or doing something else, uh, they have to. Um, they are supervised closely and have um, a lot of uh, limits on like the software and things like that. that they can like send out like screenshots or take screenshots or send them out to other people, so they can't do it from home. Facebook decided to make most of it algorithmic. I haven't heard we were supposed to have a call with the content moderation um, like group where we have like a listserv of people who study this all the time. Um, did you, I don't know if you were on it, Alex, but we were trying to figure out if basically this was a like this had like been a net bad or good for speech or what the quality concerns were um, have like what have you heard and then also like what are you like what are you seeing when you see like 19 year olds try to address this problem
3: i mean so there's no way it's a net good right now i mean sending the moderators home right but i mean the machine learning is really actually pretty dumb i think that's that's what i have to keep on telling people uh in every situation if i you know testify in congress or uh when i'm teaching a class uh what Machine learning doesn't content moderation. It's not really, you can't really say it's making decisions. What it's doing is it's taking human decisions and then it's applying those human decisions at scale and speed. Um, then with oversight, right? And the only way machine learning works in all these cases is if you train it up front. With the human being providing their judgment, and then you have a constant quality assurance loop on the back end, where the output of the machine is then double checked by humans. Um, and if the algorithm's going nuts, then it gets killed, and it all goes human. More likely, it just gets retrained one direction or the other. Um, and so, how that's going? It can't be good. I mean, I you know the the a couple of days after they uh, made the announcement. Uh, you know, things blew up pretty hard and a, a spam rule took out a huge amount of coronavirus content on Facebook. And you know, they're denying it's related, yeah. But that Sorry.
1: was separate, right? That was like, they well, like, you, you didn't think so? Cause like Guy Rosen put up this blog post that was pretty convincing to me that it was separate. And that like right, the spam that, yeah. rule was like not, was not actually about the change, but do you think it was maybe? Do you think that there was like some over overreaching and they didn't dial it in correctly and it kind of went yeah. off?
3: I mean, so the thing that does that, it's a system called Sigma. It's not much of a secret, actually. If you search for Sigma Facebook spam, what you'll find is a paper, a computer science paper and a talk given by the engineers who built it. It's actually a really interesting technical system. It's built in Haskell, real time. It's incredibly computationally efficient based on the volume of activity. In fact, that it has to be stateful. Um, so for the CS people, it's actually a fun paper to read. But uh, it, those kinds of incidents are interesting because it, you could see a situation in which if you have fewer humans that you're going to have to write more rules, And so it's possible that rules. We'll... that. I mean, certainly whatever they did, it either was written specifically for coronavirus or it picked up on the fact that people are now spamming using coronavirus as a, a tool. Um, I hard part predicts, but these uh, things, you know, the, uh, the chicken situation here, because all spam and all content moderation is adversarial, right? Like everything you do is based upon current activity, by people, uh, especially kind of professional. History.
0: All right, so uh, Alex, your audio is a, a semi-disaster, I'm afraid. Oh no! Uh, so um,
1: I'm uh, getting it. Are I, you? I, I well, I well, I like it's breaking it, but I know, but I like I understand what Alex is saying. So It's probably <laughs> sure. it's
3: I. I, I-, 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 I to be so I can move to like my mm-hmm. embarrassingly large microphone if you prefer me to, to do that. that. Do it. Go do it. Okay, I'll do that while you guys chat. Okay. All right.
0: So in the meantime, uh uh Jay Kelly uh, has uh, an awesome question, which uh, uh or a, a set of questions. So uh uh Jay Kelly, could you uh, uh start your video so we can we can see you. Hello. Hello, Jay Hi. Kelly. Hi sorry, you Meanwhile, me mis- Kate has vanished.
1: I'm back. I'm back. Okay. I had to get another beer. I know. I'm Excellent. about to get a white claw.
0: All right, uh, Jay. What's on your mind? A little out of breath.
1: So, um, question I had was two. Is one. Um, sorry, I'm catching my breath here. Um, You're fine. One was uh, with uh, a lot of relationships.
0: We consider it a virtue to be in proximity to people and not necessarily to have to communicate. Um, How do
1: we manage that in social distancing or what do you guys think about that? Additionally, uh, as we adapt to these new working arrangements,
0: do you think there'll be a pressure to remain in these sort of arrangements for efficiency in the future? All right, I'm gonna put you back on in the, 10-D file. Um, uh, Yeah, so uh, for those who uh, the audio on that was a little bit a little bit uh, choppy, so let me just reread the question. One touted characteristic of virtuous relationships is the ability to be in the presence of a loved one and not feel the need to talk. What do you think the parallel is in this virtual world? So, yeah, Hey, do you uh and your partner like feel pressure to like talk all the time because you're together now all the We've, time like literally
1: this is like the worst our relationship is ever. we are in the same house uh and have like li- that like I well I mentioned before that we have like that I have like been under a huge number of deadlines and very stressed out for a while but like I have like, I haven't talked talk to him until like today we went out and like worked in the garden together. And even when we're working in the garden, we just like kind of were quiet. Like we share stuff the way we always shared it, which was like to send links to each other. We're talking at the end of the day. We like talk at various moments throughout the day for a couple of minutes. But I don't think that it's changed our physical relationship, but we're like together. So I don't know what the difference is if you, if you have you know, to, to Jay's question, which I think is like really thoughtful is kind of this uh, um, be in the presence of a loved one. I guess I, I guess I'm like a virtuous relationship in this sense, then I guess, according to but, Jay. But you, I but you, I, you sound like, anxious about it. Oh no. I actually just feel like I was just, I hadn't thought about it as virtuous. I was kind of like feeling like I haven't done anything to maintain my relationship. And like, I've taken it for granted for two weeks. Like I've just been like, Hey John, like we have to like save the dog from dying. I have to finish this paper. You have to feed me because I forget to eat when I'm working really, really hard on things. And so like, those are like, kind of, that's, I don't know. I'm kind of a jerk that way, but like but we've been together for almost, you know, I think that this year is 13 years and so it's just kind of like we just are on autopilot for like these we're also I will say anytime there's an emergency the two of us we don't communicate. We just know what's going to happen. Like I grab this and he grabs this and I grab that and like we just like know like there've been a few instances like that like we do some pretty Deep winter camping. It's like it's kind of similar, like we just are good at like good at like emergency situations
0: together. So yeah. yeah. What about you? Are you uh do you feel pressure to talk when you're uh holed up with somebody over long periods of time?
2: I'm laughing one because like, you know, you and I know each other very well. Like I'm always talking. You also know Eric pretty well. He's never talking, right? Like he's been in he's the room. Quiet guy. Right, like no, he can hear this whole thing. He's been here the whole time. He also brought me a snack, which is really nice. Um, and so kind of like similar dynamic with Kate, right? Like I'm really bad about remembering to eat. Um, so like, I think we're killing it. We're like, um, I, I think we also are our emergency prepared type humans. Um, you know, I, and earlier today, dropped Quinta off a whole pre-organized bag for emergency preparedness. And she's like, why do you have this? I was like, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> like,
0: it's like, your prepper bags. gene.
2: <laughs> right. It's like, there's bagged water in there if you need it. And she's like, underwater. I was like, I don't know. You just might. Um, So like, but I think the second question, which I know we will get to, is super interesting to me and I have many thoughts on. But I'm curious how, like, my relationship with my dog is changing. That's for sure.
0: We're gonna get to that.
2: Yeah, Alex, yeah.
3: what do you think? Do I sound okay now? On- oh, oh my God, so much yeah. better. Yeah. Okay, that's fancy. Um, so we have three kids at home. We have an eight-year-old, eleven-year-old, oh. and a almost thirteen-year-old. So they're gonna-
1: amazing kids. They are so great.
3: Uh, <laughs> they got to spend New Year's Eve with Kate uh, eating yeah. ice cream cool. in Brooklyn. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, they are great kids. Uh, it is changing their relationships a lot to be going to school with one another. I mean, it's like some kind of old timey, sc- you know, one room <laughs> schoolhouse now to have all these kids learning at the same time. Uh, and then my wife teaches at the same school. So during the day, she has to be responsive to her students. Uh, and so it's just kind of a complete chaos in our house continuously right now, um, during during the workday. But uh, it's, it's Not been during the I mean, overall good. I mean, we're, we're spending when, so much time together. Yeah. But
0: when you're sitting in a room with, with all different members of your family. Uh, is there less pressure to talk than there would be, or more pressure to talk than there would be in a situation in which these were the 90 minutes that you spent together that day? If you're spending all day together, do you still feel like, you know, hey, we're sitting here, we should be engaging with one another? Or is it totally okay for like, for people to be sitting in the same room, each doing their own thing and basically not engaging the others.
3: I think my wife and I feel some pressure to engage in the evening as adults and married people and not just co-parents because all day is just co-parenting, right? With the the kids. Um, And so we do not have an interaction that is about being spouses. at all in, until they're in bed, until 9 p.m. Um, and then we're exhausted. So we get, you get like half an hour to actually kind of connect and then you collapse and are reborn the next day. Um, so I don't know, I don't know how scalable this is. With the other kids, I mean, with the kids there's, I, I don't know if any of you have an eight year old but it's just like a continuous stream of words and questions that come out of her mouth and uh, <laughs> you feel a continuous, I mean, you want to answer them because they're all, I mean, some of them are good questions not, not oh all God, of them are super relevant. I don't
1: have an eight year old but I remember being that (laughs) eight-year-old like really distinctly I remember being that eight-year-old and my mom just being like go away
3: (laughs) right but we really you really don't want to do that and this is pretty special I mean we're not going to have this time again right like of we hope we're not
2: going to have this time again let's just be very clear
3: (laughs) we may have it in the fall right and for the parents are like oh I'm excited to get through the school year so it's summer Jesus (laughs) that's right that's how it's working out
2: yeah brutal ben how are things at your house though
3: um especially the
0: dogs so yeah so like pretty fine i mean (laughs) they're quiet they're uh you know tammy and i are both doing a lot of work we're being uh um uh as productive as we can be and i do think there is a uh, completely, I think the, the, the premise of the question, at least in my case is right, there's a completely different set of rules regarding when we have to interact than there normally is. Cause like normally we get up in the morning and we have this period of time where we can interact before we go off and do our thing for the day. And then we come back and then we get to interact again. And so there's this normal expectation that if we're in the same room, we're gonna be interacting with one another, uh, either in preparation for the day or just socially or uh, detoxing from the day, but it's some kind of interaction with each other. Now we're in the same room all the time. Uh, there's a, it's a decision not to be in the same, you know, very small, uh, Collection of spaces. And so there isn't the same expectation that if we're sitting there, we need to be paying attention to one another. And there's even a kind of like interesting, um, you know, uh, and we've never like figured out what the rules of it are, but like there's some like Ben exists and then Ben exists, but he has a cocoon around him. And he doesn't really exist. He's just there in his cocoon. Uh, it's like there's like some kind of fake barrier, and Tammy has the same thing. And I love so-
1: the cocoon. I love it. Yeah. I love the yeah.
0: So like sometimes you have two people sitting there in their respective cocoons, doing their thing inside their. The You're
3: cocoon. being alone together.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And that's and that's, that's my like normally a um, a thing that. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of, but we're definitely sort of doing a lot more of it in this context. It's
3: a sign of an adult relationship when you can be alone together and you don't have to fill the gap, right? I mean, I feel incredibly, I mean, I always feel lucky to be married and to have an incredible uh, spouse, but like right now is a specific, I can't imagine what it'd be like to be single right now. Um,
2: Yeah, that's exactly Jay's question,
1: I think.
3: Right, right. Yeah.
2: so Ben, you when we had lunch on Monday, we, and that everybody downloaded and watched us talk about cheese. Yeah, I just
1: want to
0: point out we did not have lunch in <laughs> person. No, 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 virtual had, lunch. Sorry. It was a virtual lunch.
2: Virtual lunch. Um, Knapsack Girl Squad members are a diverse group, but many of them are quarantining, social distancing alone. Many of them are also still working, that's a different conversation, but so many of them are single, right? And this is and there's this thing in DC now called DC is blind. Have you guys heard about this? No. Oh, I'm thrilled that I get to be the one to tell you this. So you guys have heard of Love is Blind, yes, on Netflix.
3: I can't get those brain cells back. Yes. Okay. <laughs>
2: great. So is it, is
1: it bad? Wait,
2: is it bad?
3: Um, it's oh, it's so, so bad, bad it's good. That it's
2: amazing. <laughs> oh man, right? It's a it's a it's a dating show done by netflix but they don't see each other until they propose to one another
1: till well, after the actual propose. fuck really yeah, oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <It's ridiculous>. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and there is a there's a version being done on facebook live of young dc single people called dc is blind it's five bucks to watch it's real and it is fucking wild
0: <laughs> excellent so wait so but what does it have to do with not Set girl squad
2: but so what i'm saying is a lot of them are single and very much could never do dc is blind right it's like the antithesis of what it means to be on the internet as a member of not Set girl squad so they're dealing with the frustration of being totally isolated and alone by watching this show on facebook i see lines. yeah
0: <laughs> and, i could i could see that <laughs> knowing a, yeah. a bunch of your members it's kind of thing oh, they would yeah watch with horrified fascination.
2: Right, like, um, dirty, yeah.
0: Uh Kate, we should plan our show for the week.
1: Yeah, we already have a lot of it planned out. I'm like curious what Alex and Maggie think about it. Um, <clears throat> we have Danielle Citron on Monday. Awesome. Um, she is gonna be fantastic. And she's gonna talk about kind of, I think a lot of the stuff we talked about today and just kind of also, I think, one of the things we're gonna plumb into is how the internet and the social scape and the norms of the internet are gonna change now that our lives collapse completely into the internet and there's not so much distance or um, refuge and anonymity um, or anything else uh, that there's just like, you kind of live one life and you don't have one computer that you're working on at home. And then one computer that you're working on at, uh, at work to kind of make a physical demarcation, and so um, she's going to talk about that on Monday. And then, who do we have on Tuesday, Ben? Tuesday, we
0: have Orin Kerr.
1: Oh yeah, uh, and That's we good. have
0: we have no idea what Orin Kerr is going to talk about, but um, he uh, he was our original idea for our first guest, but you know we did that without consulting his schedule and uh, you know the arrogance of of. Thinking you can just invite somebody on Twitter, which is more than we did for either of you. We just yeah, you know, this kind is of dragged, amazing dragged you out of the audience. Um,
3: yeah, all of a sudden my Zoom just said, Your camera's turning on. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Am I worried something? That's my FSB <laughs> sign. I, I just <laughs> turn on your. Right. Your, Hello, your, my friend. It lets me invite you to a special webcast.
0: Yes. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes and I do very good Russian accent. Too. Yes, yes. Um, oh also. Um, So, um, and then Wednesday, I think we're going to have my uncle on. Um, Wait, which uncle? My uncle is the polar explorer uncle, John Turk, who um, lives out in the backwoods in Montana and um, does, uh, uh, he's end of the bell curve for the end of the bell curve people for kind of extreme outdoorsmanship. Um, And uh, we're going to talk to him about uh, the particular region of Montana that he lives in that Kate does garlic farming in. And we're going to talk to him about sailing across the Pacific Ocean in a kayak, Um, which there aren't that many people who are not uh, Aluits who have ever tried to do. Um, So what should we do with Thursday and Friday, Kate?
1: I don't know. I kind of like. I kind of like the idea, Alex. Like, I would love it if. Like, I was thinking already that we should talk about what this is all going to mean for uh, higher education. Mm, um, yeah. Because I was talking to. I was talking to Jack Balkin today, as I told you, and Jack was talking about like what he was looking for. Like, what was what he has a bunch of predictions about this that he has been thinking about for some time. Um, and now they're kind of, uh, playing out in real time. And I would, I'm just also, um, I actually think that Stanford, because they're on the, um, they're, what is it? It's called the quarter
3: system, Alex. Yeah. It's starting next week. Full price. The entire quarter is going to be online only pass, not pass full price. And there's this big, you know, the students are asking for a refund. Of course, Stanford's paying us, paying the professors, right? Paying the lecturers. And so... Uh, you know, the universities are caught in this vice between students who don't think like they're getting the value and the fact that costs have not go- gone down, they've in fact probably gone up in most cases. Yeah. Stanford's in a hiring freeze now, too. That just happened on Friday, which is really unfortunate because the research yeah. we do on disinformation, like we're spinning up a China project. Uh we have an op-ed coming out in China and coronavirus disinformation, and we have a whole project looking at that. And I can't hire folks for it. It's 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 rough. Yes. It's gonna be, I mean, the the universities are stuck and in, there's interesting things with all the funding organizations cuz you know we have funding to run a conference that we can't run now are we going to be able to get the flexibility to use that money for other things like the the yeah. knock on effects for higher education you're right are very are very large
1: yeah, super large and like to even like to put it even like, like Jack has been talking he's just kind of like, you know, is education in person going to become bespoke education? Are you going to like basically have this bifurcation and like kind of the elite institutions in which you pay for in-person education and other institutions, you just, we actually enter a new phase in which it is default all virtual. Um, and so like, I don't know, some of the, and like the... the the economic impacts of that, the the research impacts of that, as like Alex points out, like I think that there are massive. I just I don't know. Sorry, I don't want to like take over our Thursday show, but I thought that that would be a great topic for Thursday. That'd be great.
3: Uh, and it's interesting, it. too, because the CS students, a huge percentage of them, already basically just because all of the CS classes are streamed, they just stay in their dorms and they watch them at like one and a half. I actually found... That actually you know, it was, seems right to me. It wasn't cheating because it was an open note final, but a final I gave last quarter. One of the students is trying to find the answer by watching me lecture in two times speed, so I was watching myself like going back and forth using my Greek hands continuously at incredibly high speed on their uh, you know, during their final was pretty awesome. But, um, and so I actually did a bunch of stuff to make them, I did in-class quizzes to be like, if you watch it, you can't get better than a C in this class if you don't come to class, basically, because uh, I wanted them there. But now, you know, like, if, if you're not allowed to do that, how do you build a structure that keeps students engaged?
0: So Kate, figure out who, uh, like, who we should yeah. have for that. Yeah. I have an idea for, uh, so first of all, I think our Saturday show should always be we, like randomly, we randomly yes. promote, uh, not <laughs> randomly, but we see who's in the audience and figure out like who, who would be interesting to add to the conversation. And I think that's, that's like an awesome format for the Saturday show. I also had an idea for a kind of gag show that I think could be really interesting, which is, I don't know if it's a gag, but like, so like we start with the two of us, each of us adds somebody and then each of those people adds somebody, so it's like it's the a exponential growth like, show. Like yeah. it's a little bit like <laughs> yeah. um, no, so, man, it's no viral spread, yeah. But we stop it. no stop it. Stop af- it yeah. after a relatively small number of iterations. One, one so grain it of rice it. on the chessboard. Exactly. Um, so it's not um, doubling every few days, but it is like uh, each. It, you know, the r naught is one. Um, and you only do two iterations. So you end up with six people, right? Um, and, uh, and so nobody knows who's going to be on the show uh, at the beginning. Uh, and actually nobody knows until uh, all the people are on who's going to be on. I think that would be sort of chaotic. Well, that fun- sounds like a Sunday chaotic. show. Should we do that tomorrow? Yeah, let's do it tomorrow. I guess, I guess that means we're having a Sunday show?
1: I mean, I guess it does. All right, I'm I'm down for that. I kind of like I like this open format for Saturday though to collect after the week and to plan for the next week and then like the ad lib like Sunday ness of Sunday. I also like having something different than their traditional format for Saturday and Sunday. Cool. So we- also to everyone, to all like Alex and Maggie like we, we have Ben and I have t- had spent zero time offline like actually planning this. Oh, all, all so of
0: the same. planning. All of the planning for this show goes on on the show. Which radical is part transparency. Of, part of the. Yeah, right. part of the um, yeah, radical transparency. So, speaking of radical transparency, we have a question from Allison, who, uh, Allison, this is fair warning. You are about to be uh, promoted uh, onto the panel. Um, uh, I like
3: that it's
2: promoted, right?
1: Like you're being, you're. Well, it feels very much like a radio call-in show. It's amazing. Uh, like, I, I feel like Diane Rehm right now. Allison
0: has vanished. Uh, I think okay. Allison must have disappeared yeah, right before.
1: But I can. Out. We can oh, well. read the question.
0: Yeah, read the question because it's a good question.
1: Will this be a catalyst to get internet access for everyone without cost? It's a necessity for the times we live in. Uh, it's integrated into so much and still growing to so many ways of daily life that everyone should have access to it. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? I think that it's, I mean, this is, this is, again, I'm going to say that this is like the end of internet exceptionalism and that people will finally understand that like, having access to internet is the same type of, right? What that means for regulation downstream is a totally different question. The fact that we might, this might mean that we basically, this allows us to regulate Comcast and all of the other types of uh, cable uh, broadband providers by like Verizon and Fios, like Fios and all this other stuff. I mean, there's a difference between saying that this is like a basic utility like the telephone and electricity uh, and this uh, and saying that like it should be regulated like the telephone or electricity, if that makes sense.
3: I mean, it yep. seems like I'm sorry. Go ahead,
0: well, No, I was going to ask you, what do you think is, is, is the time for universal Internet access uh, here, not here yet or long past? And if if it's time. What, what should the mechanism of it be?
3: I mean, to me, it seems like coronavirus is sweeping away kind of the bullshit in lots of things, right? Like, we've, we've made all these stupid deals for no good reason in society, and it turns out that they're not that important, right? So there's a bunch of stuff around, I think the FDA is going to get changed around, like, making it incredibly difficult to innovate in medicine. Um, I think we'll see interesting things around HIPAA and the like. We'll see, you know, there's, a much more reasonable discussion of privacy going on for the moment of like online privacy. You you know traditionally you've had kind of these people who, you know, talk about who uh, talk about like online privacy rights without any discussion of what the actual trade-offs are, and now people have to look at a hard trade-off uh, around contact tracing and the like. Um, and for me on the broadband side, like one of the least ethical and moral laws that have ever been passed at the state level around this has been banning municipal broadband, right? That you have mm-hmm. the Comcast and the Verizon, and the AT&T's have gone out and their lobbyists have convinced states to prevent people from doing co-ops and citywide broadband. Um, and it really does change your experience. So we're lucky enough we have fiber to the premises here. It got put in last year. Um, okay. It took way too long, like heart of Silicon Valley, uh, you know, that it, t- until 2019, we couldn't get fiber. Most people can't. And Comcast around here is destroyed right now. It is, you know, com- uh, the way that cable modems work, DOCSIS, is, is all about over-provisioning, right? That you end up selling... 10 to 20 times as much bandwidth as you can actually handle and so they're getting destroyed during the day right now uh, and people are having real trouble utilizing it uh, and so in that kind of situation when now people are asking like wait so wait why can't we have fiber and it's because of a bunch of anti-monopolistic a b- bunch of monopolistic stuff around municipal broadband around access to polls so you know there's a bunch of states where they make it very difficult for new ISPs to start up because you can't get on their polls Comcast and at and t and such will make it difficult I think all of that's going to get swept away it's gonna be really difficult for for a incumbent telecom that has fallen down during this for their lobbyists to go argue to some city council that some startup fiber optic company or some nonprofit co-op shouldn't have access. And that, that I think that should be a federal, honestly, there should be a federal override that municipal broadband and co-op and nonprofit broadband is something that cannot be outlawed at the state level as long as you're following the same kind of regulatory rules as the big incumbents. That's where I'd like, I think it should start. Yeah.
0: Allison when you posed that question you had no idea what a s- incredibly sophisticated and deep <laughs> answer you were to get. I only wish you were still on the, uh, uh, the live stream to, to hear it um, but here's hoping you catch the end if I if we see you on uh, tomorrow's show or Mondays I will remind I'll <coughs> uh, mention it so that you go back and listen on YouTube Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so we're just going to wrap up for today, but um, Alex, that was amazing. I uh, learned so much from you every time I talk to you, Maggie, I loved getting to meet you. I love your radical sweatshirt. Uh, oh, thank you.
2: And, and I should say hi to Alex and, and thank him for being so very nice to me in Munich, Germany um, and helping me um, with some Natsa Girl Squad internet trolls. So, thanks, friend. It's funny to run into you on a Saturday on Zoom.
3: <laughs> yeah, this is where we run into each other on Zoom it's or in Munich. Like it's, you know. it's like it's, the water cooler. There's what much what worse Heavy in my house, unfortunately, than there was. <laughs> in Munich.
0: All right, I'm going to send you guys back into the audience.
3: Okay, I'll uh, see you, Zane.
1: Bye. bye, friend. Thank you, guys. Um, and so, we're going to wrap up today. And uh, I'm just going to say uh, thank you for joining us tomorrow, apparently. Um, ben and I are gonna do a, um, a very ad hoc, uh, kind of very experimental um, way of inviting guests. So we're gonna give a, a test run on Sundays. If it doesn't work out, maybe we won't tape on Sundays. Who knows? Um, we're figuring this all out as we go along, um, but uh, basically uh, we're really glad that you joined us today. And uh, this was a wonderful conversation. Um, we have coming up this week, Danielle Citron, Oren Kerr, um, Alex Damos, it looks like um, John. Um, what John Turk? Turk. John, yeah. Turk um, John Turk. John uh, Turk, Ben's uncle, who is an incredible explorer and um, on uh, kind of explorer, the right word, Ben.
0: I don't know what the right word for it is. He uh, he does uh, polar expeditions and uh, non-polar as well. I mean, he does. Uh, extreme outdoorsmanship and has for, I guess, probably 50 years now.
1: That's amazing. So I think it's like, I think that kind of a um, explorer and kind of survivor and uh, he's good at surviving and being interesting. I mean, like he's just literally probably had a ton of adventures, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And he's uh, uh, like, he hasn't been killed yet.
1: yeah. And so we have him and then Alex and hopefully Jack Balkin are gonna join us on Thursday to kind of talk about the effect of all of this on higher education. And then we're still figuring out Friday's show, but.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to get Amanda Sloat, my Brookings colleague. I would love that. Uh, Amanda Amanda has been um, uh, doing Incredible work just talking to people all over the world about how coronavirus is affecting their uh, countries. And she did an incredible article in Politico, Politico magazine about it. And we also featured some of that research as well as some other stuff on uh, the Lawfare podcast in an episode that came out today. And I'd love to just you know, have a drink with
1: her and have a conversation about it. Yeah, maybe, that sounds maybe great. we can get her for Friday. That sounds amazing. And then looking forward, Carrie Goldberg um, sends us a message. It says, when are we going to do an episode on asphalt tech companies? So we can uh, we can probably figure out a way to work that in at some point. Yeah. Anytime you want
0: to come on the show, Carrie.
1: Yeah, anytime. I think that that is exactly right. I would love to be have Carrie on the show. Um, she would be amazing. Uh, but this is, I think I'm super, super amped for next week. I think it's going to yeah, be- this
0: is- It's gonna be fun yeah and uh uh and if it's not fun it'll at least be in lieu of fun
1: it it will is that our sign off now (laughs) i
0: think it is (laughs) if if it's not fun at least there's scotch and it's in lieu of fun and uh
1: cheers to you
0: yeah here's to you my scotch glass is empty but uh i i raise it in your direction
1: yeah um i will see you tomorrow Ciao. Right.